Oh, I, I, I was a second late on, uh, on starting the graphic. I was trying to share the thing. I need, I think I need to just come up once we get this intro video, I, I, I talked to my sister's boyfriend about it. He's going to do it for us. I'm just going to throw that in there. I don't have to worry about clicking less things as we do this. Uh, I'm Ryan. That's Paul. This is episode 26, I believe of give that fan a podcast. We're very excited to be back with you. Uh, there's a lot going on, Paul. We're in the midst of the world series. Game four starts in about an hour. Um, before we dive into it, uh, subscribe to our YouTube. If you're watching, uh, you can comment along. We can pull your comments onto the show, not on Twitter, but on Facebook and YouTube. All those links are in our bio on Twitter at give that fan a pod. We have a little link tree going there with, with links to everywhere you can find us. So we're live on YouTube, Twitter, and on the Utah Street Report Facebook page. Um, Paul, how you doing? I, it, it's been been a couple weeks. We're doing a little uh, little biweekly during the off season, but uh, how you been? I'm I'm doing well, man. I'm uh, I'm sitting here in the home office slash guest room slash cat bedroom, and um, it's funny. We have three pets. We have two cats, and we have the dog Bruce Man. And um, they all, if I'm home, they all have to like be like on me, right? So, like, if I'm downstairs with Bruce, he follows me everywhere. If I'm upstairs with the cats, Lena's always right next to my left foot, poking at me, trying to get me to pet her. And Frankie, if I'm like – Frankie only comes around if we're laying in bed, but then she sits right between me and my wife and just looks at me and meows until I pet her. So oh. I got a cat poking at me right now uh, as we're doing the show. But I'm doing great. I'm happy to be doing another podcast with you today, man. Um, how are you? I'm not too bad. You know, my, my pets, my cats in particular are not as, as cuddly. My snakes obviously don't cuddle with me very much unless I force them to. Uh, but no, my, my cats, uh, I, I had one on my lap today and she was making biscuits on my leg, which was painful because she uses her nails. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, they're, they're great cats. Megan's holding, uh, holding pickle in the doorway right now. Hey bud. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a cool cat name. Pickle yeah, and have- pepper. We have very, uh, very cute, like freakishly cute pets, and they're all real cuddly and loving. So yeah. it's cool. It's I think we'll end up with another cat eventually, and I'd, I'd like to try to – I don't know if you have to, like, train cats to be more cuddly or if they're just naturally one way or the other. Like, they'll, they'll be around us. They'll want to sit with us, but they don't want to come up and, like, lay on us most there, of the time. There's no, I mean, you can train cat. Like, we trained Lena. If she wants a treat, she has to stand on her hind legs and give us one of these. Like, way there you more. go. So we did train her to do that, but the the loving, cuddling nature of her is just natural. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, enough about cats. Yeah, uh, enough about the, the World Series is going on. Game four starts, like I said, in about an hour uh, as we record this live on Wednesday evening. Phillies have a two to one lead. Uh, Tuesday night they uh, won seven nothing at a, a shutout, featuring as many Phillies home runs as Astros hits. Bryce Harper, Alec Bohm, Brandon Marsh, Kyle Schwarber, and Reese Hoskins all went deep off of Houston starter Lance McCullers, who may or may not have been tipping pitches, Paul. Um, I I personally don't really think he was. I don't think there was enough there to really distinguish it. I, I kind of feel like the Phillies just knew his plan of attack. Maybe. Um, Steve Johnson, who, we, who I had on the bat around about a month or so ago, he posted on Twitter difference in leg kicks from McCullers. Uh, so maybe that was a little bit of a tip. I mean, Harper was telling Alec Bohm before the inning start, the, the uh, next inning started, he told him something. So maybe he is tipping pitches, or maybe he's like, look, man, he's he has, he's thrown two fastballs the whole game. 
sit on the off-speed stuff and drive it somewhere. Maybe that's all he told him. But uh, he got torched, absolutely torched last night. So Bryce Harper, you said we were going to talk about catch. He's as cool a cat as there is right now, man. He, uh, <laughs> just dropping bombs, back-to-back pitches for him. Game five of the NLCS, game three of the World Series, hits home, hits big home runs. Oh, my God, cat, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> She is nonstop swiping at my leg. It's getting annoying now. Um, but yeah, Bryce Harper, man, he has been maybe one of the had one of the, maybe one of the greatest postseason performances of all time. Uh, this has just been remarkable. It's it's unbelievable. In in fourteen games this postseason, he has twenty one hits. That's good for a three eighty two average. Four fourteen on base. He has six doubles and six home runs. Uh, Eight eighteen slugging. 1232 on base percentage and 13 runs batted in. And Paul, he's doing it as a DH after he powered through this season, had a couple injuries, including getting hit in the hand with a Blake Snell fastball. But um, he's got a tear in his right UCL. He was diagnosed with that back in April. And so he's been DHing for the the vast majority of the season. And thank God the NL has the DH now because Mm -hmm. Harper and Schwarber, they they would have been in a a tough spot. Schwarber, they signed, I think, to be the DH. And now they've been able to put him out in the field. it's it's really remarkable what what Harper's been able to do, and I I think back to uh, about ten years ago when these guys were first kind of bursting upon the scene. People loved to debate Harper versus Mike Trout versus Manny Machado, and naturally, O's fans thought their guy was the best of the three, as did Angels and Nats fans. Um, someone just commented "ew" on the face. That, that was that was that was us. That was me. That was you. Because, because Hunter Davis put up, reminds me of Big Poppy back in 2013. So I just said you. Oh, did you comment on, can we comment back on the actual YouTube feed? Or did you just put it in our chat? I put it in our chat and I don't know. Huh, that's weird. So it looks like it shows up on the Facebook chat as well if you respond on here. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, it, someone did, did comment. It reminds me of Big Poppy back in 2013. Yeah, it's just a, a ridiculous hot streak that he's on right now. Um, but I, I think back to, to then. And they were the three top-hitting prospects in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And now 10 years later, Paul, they're under contract for a little over a billion dollars combined. They're worth a total of 176.9 B-War. The trio has 14 top-five MVP finishes with Machado. I think he's going to add a fifth, a 15th this year. He should be top two, I think, at least. 23 All-Star selections in... Sorry, I lost my train of thought. 23 All-Star selections in 29 full seasons, 918 regular season home runs. So uh, needless to say, Paul, all three of those guys have lived up to expectations. Well, uh, yeah, and you, you say 14 top five MVP finishes, and I know Harper has two. Trout has at least two. Does he have three MVPs? Uh, Trout, I think, has three MVPs. Harper has two, and then Trout has a bunch of – Top five. He has, uh, a, he has a bunch of top two and top Macha- three finishes. Yeah. Machado has Machado a few top five. Could win the NL MVP this year. Yeah, he, it's he, it's he conceivable. Could. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I I, just, I was just gonna say, you know, Harper was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as as a 16 year old, and Tom Verducci called him the most exciting prodigy since LeBron, which is is pretty high praise. But mm-hmm. I, I think when you look at at what Harper has been able to do this season, and especially this postseason, to really cement his legacy. He he really is everything he was supposed to be. Yeah, man. He um, I remember back in 2012 when he was a rookie, and Gatorade, I think it was, had a commercial. Legends of the game, and it was in black and white, and there's Bryce Harper. And they're talking about Hall of Famers and how he's a future Hall of Famer, and he hadn't even played half a season yet. 
And I was like, what are we doing? And then he was good. He wasn't great his first three seasons. And then he goes out and wins MVP in 2015, goes to Philadelphia, and he's 250-260 hitter and then wins the MVP last year. And he's really become just an all-around incredible – he might be the best player in the game right now. Uh, When you look at what he can do offensively, his own base capabilities, the high batting average, home runs, drives in runs. When he's healthy and he he can play defense, he's a good outfielder with a great arm. Um, And honestly, I I put this on Twitter last night. He truly is the most valuable player in all of baseball because he signed that that 13-year, $330 million contract, which sounds like a lot of money. But Bryce Harper is making just a little bit more than $25 million a year. And you have other dudes in the league, MVP caliber dudes who are putting up the same numbers as him or maybe even worse numbers than him. We're getting paid 10 to $15 million more a season. He took less money with no opt-outs to have the security of being in one place for the rest of his career. He's really taken that city under his wing. They've embraced him. He's embraced them. You won't find more bang for your buck than Bryce Harper. And have you ever seen his two-strike approach when the at-bats matter? So, like, last night in his third at-bat, he was just going for broke, right? Even though, two, he was swinging for the fences because they were already up 7 nothing. But if you like a Bryce Harper when the game is on the line or they need to pad a lead or they need to get back into the game, he gets two strikes. You look at the way he stands and he spreads he spreads his legs out and puts all the leans all the weight back on his back foot as the pitch is coming. Just spit, just twists on the front ball, on the ball of his right foot, so that the ball can get as deep as possible. He can have as much pitch recognition as possible and try and go with the pitch or just take what's brought to him. His two strike approach is one of the best in baseball. He is just an incredible baseball player, and I'm so happy to see him shining on on the biggest stage right now. He's so much fun, man. I I, yeah. I, I went into this series thinking I was rooting for Houston because uh, of Trey, and then. Cespedes Barbecue posted an article about the Phillies and just how much fun they're having as a team and just the the atmosphere in that clubhouse. And I, I really started to vibe with them. And the the atmosphere in Philadelphia has been absolutely electric. It was last night. I'm sure it will be again tonight. It's it's a really easy team to root for. And if yeah. you if you set aside any preconceived notions about Philadelphia sports fans as a whole, it's man, it's fun. Like I was watching last, and I'm a big Lance McCullers fan. I like him a lot, and watching that game last, I just I couldn't help but be like, man, this is this is postseason baseball. This is what it's all about. And so I still haven't really settled into a true rooting interest. I don't think, but it's it's been a fun World Series so far. Phillies have a two one lead, and uh, and hopefully we get seven out of this because it's been a hell of a series. Yeah, I'll tell you, um, I may have been the only person on the planet last night that wasn't related to Lance McCullers Jr. that felt bad for him. Because I like Lance McCullers, too. And, you know, uh, he's a good pitcher, and he's going out there. And he was hurt most of the year, right? Yeah. And so he came back towards the end of the season, uh, gets into the playoffs with the team. He's making a World Series start, and he just gets gets lit up. And, I, I like, if it was Verlander or if it was Valdez or, you know, or Keedy, I wouldn't have felt bad for them. I, I don't know why I wouldn't have felt bad for them, but for some reason I felt bad for Lance McCullers. Uh, didn't feel bad for anybody else on the Astros. Glad they lost seven to nothing. I'll tell you, man. Uh, you know, I want to see Trey do well. He's not. When I, I know we're getting that to yeah. in, a, in a little bit here. He's not doing well in the postseason. But you know, my stepdad, like, I, and I said this two weeks ago. My stepdad's a, a Phillies fan. He's from Philly. My two 
uh, co-best men are from Philly, and they're big Phillies fans. So I have a rooting interest in the Phillies. I'm a big Bryce Harper fan. Uh, I, I, and honestly, the Astros, they have their World Series. They've been to four in six years. You know, it's your fault that you couldn't get, win another one. Give me the Phillies all the way. Hey, I, I have no no qualms with that. Uh, but yeah, on, on the Astros side, Paul, uh, Trey Mancini is not in the Houston lineup for Game 4. Jordan Alvarez is shifting to DH. Aledmus Diaz is getting the start in left field. Um, Mancini's 0 for 5 in the World Series, 0 for 17 in the postseason. Game 1, uh, Mancini's spot came up with two outs in the bottom of the 10th, tying and winning runs on base. Dusty Baker, uh, pinch hit for him with Aledmus Diaz. There's a little voice crack. Shout out, puberty still at 27 years old. <laughs> Uh, Alemis Diaz pinch hit for Mancini in that spot. Diaz coming into that was one for 14 in the postseason, so in, in a skid similar to Trey. The first pitch bounce got away from Real Muto, putting both runners in scoring position. Diaz tried to lean into back-to-back curveballs that slipped away from David Robertson. He was successful the second time. Umpire called him out on his bullshit, said, you're coming back to the batter's box. So it's 3 nothing. Diaz whiffs on a 3-0 green light and then rolls over to third base to end the game. And I know you said, Paul, last episode that you don't have the same affinity for Trey Mancini as a lot of Orioles fans do. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, you know, it's it's not the same connection. And that's fine. Um, and I, I, like I said, I'm not necessarily rooting for the Astros. I kind of thought I was going in, but I, I'm, I'm just enjoying the good baseball. But in that spot, I would have loved to see Trey get a chance to come through and really make Astros fans forget about his postseason struggles because they're starting to turn on him a little bit. And it breaks my heart. Yeah, well, it, here's the thing. I love Trey. I do. I, I, and I want to see him do well. Um, and I don't, when I say I don't have the same affinity for Trey, it's not that I don't love him and don't love what he did as an Oriole. It's right. Not that, you know, it, it didn't feel some kind of way when he was traded. But the writing's been on the wall for Trey, right? He's not, he's not the player that he was in 2019 or even 2018 or 2017. He's not that guy anymore. And I don't think he's ever going to be again. So for me, it was kind of more so I lost the affinity for him when everybody else is clamoring, oh, bring Trey back, sign him to a three-year deal, he should be an Oriole for life, and this, that, and the other. And it's like, he's not that good anymore. That's right. where where it's like, that's where the, the loss of affinity for Trey comes from because he, he I, I want somebody who can help the team as much as I love Trey, he can't help this team anymore. Um, yeah. That being said... Yeah, I would have loved to have seen Trey get an opportunity in that in, in that game in the tenth inning to maybe do something. But he had an opportunity earlier in the game, and he did, he, and he popped out to right field, right, and he had a couple of strikeouts in that game too. So he had his opportunities, and if he had done something with any of those opportunities, he would have had the opportunity in the tenth inning. But at this yeah. point, Dusty Baker's got to try and win a win a ball game, and yeah, the the heartstrings are saying, yeah, give Trey that chance, but. Chances are Trey would have rolled over on one or popped another one up or struck out on the pitch, low and away out of the strike zone. Uh, and that's the the reality of the situation. So as much as I would have liked to have seen Trey come through, it didn't bother me because I understood why. Yeah, I get it. And, you know, you mentioned the pop out in the eighth inning. He came in against Sir Anthony Dominguez with the uh, go-ahead run on third base, two outs in the bottom of the eighth, swung and missed at three straight sliders. So, yeah, the the writing was kind of on the wall there that, that they needed someone with, with a better chance to come through in that spot. But I guess for selfish reasons, I just I wanted to see Trey have his World Series moment. It would have um, been cool, man. I, I was it would have been awesome. Court, but I wasn't upset when – like, I guess there was a part of me that was upset because it's like, man, I don't get to see Trey come through. 
but I don't think he would have. So that's fair. And, and you're also rooting for Philly, so it, right. And it's it's the World Series, so you, you I, honestly, dude, I'm as I am rooting for Philly, but I would love to see a good game too. And that that was a great game last night. Was was a lap, right? I want to see a good baseball game. So if a, if an Astro comes up with a chance to tie the game or get them get them back in the game, I'm all for it because I want it to come down to the wire because it's the World Series, right? Right. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. Um, all right, Paul, let's talk some Orioles. Defense in particular. Jorge Mateo was not selected as a Gold Glove finalist, which is Insane. absolutely absurd. Uh, but he did win the Fielding Bible Award for the best defensive shortstop in baseball, and rightfully so. It's an award voted on by... A lot of the staff at Sports Info Solutions and some higher ups there. Uh, I got a chance to vote for that award a couple years ago when I interned up there, and so it's 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 pretty cool to see Jorge Mateo take that home. Uh, and that's the best defensive shortstop in both leagues, not just the American League. That, that, that those awards they give out, right? Uh, so Mateo gets the Fielding Bible Award, but not a Gold Glove. Adley Rushman was not selected as a finalist at catcher. Jose Trevino ended up taking home the award. Paul, I think you can argue that Rutschman deserved to be a finalist, but at the same time, the three guys who were selected as finalists were all really good choices, so I don't really consider that one a snub. Um, which one? The Ryan Mountcastle one? Is that what you said? Rutschman. 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 Sorry, I have your notes in front of me, but I was also looking up if you could win a platinum glove um, without winning a gold glove, and you can't. Um, so, sorry about that. But uh, Adley okay. Rutschman, yeah... It would have been cool if he was a finalist, but he he didn't catch enough. Um, yeah, like he only he was only in 119 games, I think, the entire season, and he only caught like 97 of them. You know, now Ramona Rios, he he did win the Gold Glove, and I only think he played, I think he only played 86 games at third base this year. So you don't have to play a ton of games, but look, Rutschman's going to win a ton of hardware throughout his career. Already has one of the the tied for the highest WAR all time for a rookie. Uh, in just 119 games, so I'm not I'm not sweating that too much. And the guys who wa- who were finalists, they were deserving. Yeah, I'm not too worried about that one. He, I'm sure he'll get his fair share over the course of his career. Uh, you mentioned Ryan Mountcastle; he was better than Vlad Guerrero Jr., who won the award for American League first mm-hmm. baseman um, by just about every metric. Uh, the only good defensive first baseman in the league this year was Christian Walker. If you look at the numbers, like there's one guy who stood above the rest, and it was Walker, and he won in the National League. But if, yeah, former Oriole. But if you look at the numbers, Mountcastle, I think at the very least should have been a finalist. Now it's tough because defensive metrics hate first baseman. Mm -hmm. And I get that because it's not a position where you're really showing off much range or, you know, doing a ton aside from helping your infielders prevent throwing errors, I guess. Uh, Not to take away from, from what they, they mean for the, the ball club over there, but Ryan Mountcastle by just about every metric was, one of the best defensive first basemen in the American League and didn't get a chance to even be a finalist for the award. Yeah, uh, the finalists were, who were they again? Vladdy, who won, who were the other two? Luisa Reyes and Anthony Rizzo. Okay, um, well, Anthony Rizzo has always been known for his glove, although he wasn't a great defensive He wasn't good this year. I think, I, honestly, I think it should have been between the three finalists. I think Arias should have won it. Yeah, and, and if you look, Arias was a batting champion Yeah. in the American League this year. And then you have Vladdy. Who's not going to win MVP? Didn't win it last year. They're going to give him some kind of award, right? I, I, look, <laughs> so it's it's pity. It's not even pity, man. It, it's like, look, you're a really great player, and you're not going to win this award. So we're going to give you this one. And it's been that way for a long time. You look back in 2001, Alex Rodriguez. He didn't win the AL MVP, but he won a Gold Glove, despite the fact that Mike Bordick had one error in set a record for errorless chances 
um, yeah. consecutive errorless chances, over 500 consecutive errorless chances. Mike Bordick should have been the Gold Glove Award winner that year, but it, it went to A-Rod. They, they do this all the time. It's the same reason that Derek Jeter has five Gold Gloves, despite statistically being the worst defensive shortstop of all time. These are popularity awards. There's no reason that Jorge Mateo shouldn't have been a finalist and shouldn't have won every pos- uh, potential defensive thing he could have won. And he didn't because he hit 221 with a 267 on base percentage. And it was his first year as a starter, and he played for the Baltimore Orioles. It, that's If you play for the Yankees, he pre- he's probably at least a finalist for the Gold Glove. It, it comes down to a popularity contest, contest. That's why Mateo wasn't even a finalist. That's why Mountcastle wasn't a finalist, despite both of them being better than their counterparts who were. Well, the, the counterargument there is Ramona Rios won. And who is he? You know? The- he he beat out Matt Chapman, who a lot of people said was should have won the award. No, it wasn't even close. It wasn't close at all. Arias well, but, was but, by but, far, but, and we talked about this on the show before how how good of a, a a season Arias was having defensively, despite starting off slow, not being able to make the throws. You were the you were the first one that I heard make that argument, and I looked at the numbers, and you were right. And then I paid attention more, and the cat's back. And um, <laughs> uh. When I started watching and paying more attention, I was like, oh my gosh, he's, ha- he's really playing well over there. The thing about Arias, though, is he was uh, just missed on the top 10 second baseman right now on MLB Network. So his name recognition was already out there. I don't know how many people were privy to that, how many people watched that, but he was, they, did their that. Top, they, they did their top 10, and he was just on the outside looking in for second base at the beginning of the year. So, and... He was so far and away. You you also have to look at it like this. At third base, there's never going to be a ton of names. The best defensive third basemen are all in the in the National League, right? So you when you look at it, you have Jose Ramirez, you have um, who was the other guy? Uh, Matt Chapman, Chapman, and Ramon Arias. There's not really another great defensive third baseman in the American League. So that too. Now maybe I'm just making excuses, but Arias. Only playing 86 games makes me scratch my head a little bit, but what he did over there, he was far and away the best defensive third baseman. Yeah, so, something like 760 innings, not quite on the level of Chapman, who was close to 1,200. But uh, yeah, he was he was outstanding over there. He joins Brooks Robinson and Manny Machado as the only Orioles third baseman to win the award. So it's it's nice to see that come to fruition for Arias, who, like we said, kind of struggled with the throws at the beginning of the year, and then something clicked, and uh, he was he was outstanding. So what do they do with him? This, this that, see that's in, in this year. I thought about putting this in the notes, um, but I I don't know. I, like I I don't know what they're gonna do with him or Mateo, and oh. that's that's why I didn't really want to get into it because I like I I feel like I'm gonna sound stupid because I don't know. They have so many good infielders knows, coming up, but Ryan. yeah, yeah. No, the the Orioles don't know. The, that's, like, that's true. The, nobody knows. I mean, we're we're pretty sure that Gunnar Henderson's gonna play third base next year. But Ramon Arias is a gold glove winning third baseman. Now he's also a really good defender over at second base. So uh, what are they going to do? Does that mean you're going to hold off on Westberg? Jorge Mateo and I ran into a guy, uh, the editor for Press Box, Luke Jackson, at the last game of the season for the Orioles. And he said, Ramon, uh, he said Jorge Mateo, if, you, if he plays in the American League Central, you can live, any team in, the, in Central can live with, with Jorge Mateo playing shortstop every day for them and batting ninth and putting up the offensive numbers that he does. But in the American League East, he can't play shortstop for you every day. But he's the best defensive shortstop in baseball. You have a young pitching staff, and you have a 
gold glove caliber catcher, a gold glove caliber center fielder, gold glove caliber third baseman or second baseman and first baseman, and you have a gold glove caliber shortstop in Jorge Mateo, you could have all these elite defenders on your team. Do you keep him or do you say, you, we got to get more offense? It's such an awesome question, such a fun thing to talk about because nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Yeah, I think I think maybe we'll break this down in the next episode. We'll have a little little more time to to, to think about it because it, it really is a tough it's a tough question to answer because there, there are so many benefits to having a guy like Mateo and a guy like Arias over on the left side of the infield or Arias at second base, same thing. But you've got all these guys who are are ready to make an impact: Gunnar Henderson, maybe Jordan Westbrook, maybe Joey Ortiz, uh, Connor you know, Norby. Connor Norby, yeah, Taron Vavra, maybe. You know, it, and- there's so many so many possibilities that. It, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but, but I think you have Henderson's, to explore trading one of them. Gunnar Henderson is going to take one of those spots on the left side of the infield. Whether it's oh, base or shortstop, he's going to be playing one of those positions. So yeah. somebody's going to be moving to a new position. Somebody's going to be moving to a new team. It's something to think about because something's happening just right after the World Series, man. It's, it's, it's coming down the pipeline here soon. Absolutely. Uh, so last but not least on the defensive side, Cedric Mullins was a finalist in center field. Uh, in my eyes, Paul, he was the clear third best behind Michael A. Taylor and Miles Straw, who took home the award. So no real surprises there. But uh, nice to see Mullins get the recognition as a finalist. Uh, Brandon Hyde. Why Why would we do an episode without talking about Brandon Hyde? He was selected by the Sporting News as American League Manager of the Year. Now, the Sporting News Award, it's a real award, obviously. But it's not the actual award, which is voted on by the Baseball Writers Association of America. And we'll find out uh, this upcoming Monday evening at 6 o'clock on MLB Network. They'll announce those awards. So we'll find out if Hyde is going to take that one home as well. Now, I, I, I looked at, at some of the, uh, the results from over the years. Sporting News has given out the award to one manager in each league since 1986. Before that, they did one award for the whole league. So since 1986, there have been eight instances in which their award did not match up with the winner of the award voted on by the Baseball Writers Association. And that's the more accepted award. Like I said, three of those instances, three of the eight, involve the Orioles. Now, the Orioles managers to receive both awards in the same season were Frank Robinson in 89 and Davey Johnson in 97. In 1993, Sporting News picked Johnny Oates with the Orioles, but the Baseball Writers Association went with Gene Lamont of the Chicago White Sox. In 2012, Sporting News gave it to Buck Showalter, but the writers selected Bob Melvin of the Athletics. And then in 2014, the uh, Writers Association gave Buck the manager of the year, but Sporting News gave it to Mike Sosha of the Angels. So just because Hyde got the Sporting News Award, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get the actual Baseball Writers Association Award. Uh, I, I want to go on record that I hope he does. I know we've talked a lot of crap about him on, on here, especially you know down the stretch of the season. But I think it would be sick if he got the award. Um, you know, he was at the helm of a team that improved by 31 games. They were supposed to lose another 100. We've, we've beat this point home. But how much of the credit he deserves for that turnaround, Paul, I think is certainly up for debate. Yeah, look, of course I want Brandon Hyde to win manager of the year. Uh, I, I want him to win it because it's recognition for the Orioles. And he was the manager of a team that, won 80, 83 games yeah 83 games this year yep. when they weren't supposed to win you know 63 games this year so of course I want him to win um I don't think he will I think it's I think it's going to is it Scott Service or Scott Service 
I think his name. You know, I'm not sure because I think there's two different people, and it wasn't until like last year that I learned that Scott. I think Scott Service is the current manager, but Scott Service is like a former catcher. Okay. But he, I think Scott Service also caught for the Mariners, but Scott Service is their current man. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's two different people, but I think the manager is Scott Service. Okay, so Scott Service, I think he's going to win. I think, I think your, your three finalists are going to be Service, Frank Kona with the, with the Guardians, and Hyde with the Orioles. Yeah. Um, you look at uh, Frank Kona and Hyde are locks um, because all three of them are locks in my opinion because um, Frank Kona was the manager of the Guardians who were expected to be one of the worst teams in baseball this year because they had the lowest payroll and the youngest roster, and they weren't. They won the division and went to the playoffs. The Orioles were supposed to be the worst team in baseball, and they had a winning record. And then the Mariners, they, they haven't been to the playoffs since, 20, since 2001. And they get there, they kind of they went on this run in the middle of the season where they won 14 straight games. And they just, it seemed like in July and August, they could not lose. It's just, every time I looked at the box scores, they won, they were winning. Um, and that's, that was the story in baseball really is the, down the stretches, the Mariners making the playoffs after having not been there for 22 years or 21 years. So I think service is the the winner this year with uh, Francona and Hyde finishing two and three, but maybe not in that order. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, Francona did a hell of a job with that that Guardians ball club. Scott Service leading the Mariners to the postseason for the first time in a while. Now, the the knock on Service is that the Mariners were good last year. They just barely missed the playoffs. Um, so maybe that's something where they they don't see a considerable improvement. Although I think they did improve by you know seven or eight games, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, but I think I think those three that you mentioned, you nailed it. I think those are the three that are finalists. I I don't. See, I think if the Orioles had snuck into the playoffs, I think Hyde would be the clear winner there. Uh, but maybe. I, the, I think the, I, he'd, be right, he'd be neck and neck. Yeah, but they didn't, and I don't think he will be. But in any event, it's cool to see him take home the Sporting News Award. And so shout-out to Brandon Hyde. Uh, we may not always be the most supportive, but you're in charge of our favorite team, and so we love you for that. Uh, let's move on to some transactional news because we do want to wrap this up before the World Series game gets underway. Chris Ellis was activated from the 60-day IL, outrated to Norfolk. Catcher Aramis Garcia was also outrated, which I guess means they just kind of snuck him through waivers mm-hmm. and no one claimed him. Uh, so he's off the 40-man. Uh, the Orioles' 40-man is now at 39 players. And when you consider that Chirinos, Odor, and Aguilar will all be free agents, that puts them down at 36. There are only four guys on the Orioles' top 30 prospect list that are eligible for the Rule 5 draft this season. Those names are Grayson Rodriguez, Seth Johnson, Joey Ortiz, and Drew Rahm. Now, Grayrod obviously will be protected. That's that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, Rahm, I think, should be. Um, they have to at least consider Morgan McSweeney as well. I, we were talking about him before the show. Uh, 17th round pick in 2019. He's been uh, in the bullpen, got up to Bowie last year. He's, he's kind of a similar case to me to Logan Gillespie, who the Orioles protected from the Rule 5 draft that didn't happen last year um, and ended up using him out of the bullpen a bit this season. So it wouldn't surprise me too much to see them uh, protect McSweeney as well. I'd be pretty stunned, Paul, if Joey Ortiz isn't protected. I think, oh, I think, I think that's an obvious one as well. And then uh, Robert Newstrom is still eligible. He was left off the 40 man last year and exposed to the rule five draft, which did not happen. Um, 
when you look at how many good outfielders the Orioles already have in the system and at the major league level, Paul, I don't think Newstrom did enough this year to to prove to the Orioles that they made the wrong decision last year. I think yeah. he'll be exposed again. Yeah, he took a step back offensively. He had half as many walks uh, this year that, as he did last year. Um, he played less games, but only by like 15. So he had 57 walks last year and 29 this year, and I don't think that, that that's trending in the wrong direction. Um, yeah, I think that he'll be – I don't think he'll be protected, but I don't think they'll lose him either. Um, so uh, I think Joey Ortiz, Drew Rom, Grayson Rodriguez, and Seth Johnson are all going to be protected, especially because Seth Johnson's the guy who came over in the trade for Trey Man. It was Trey Mancini, right? Yeah, Johnson came over in the Mancini trade. He's going to miss all of next year uh, recovering from Tommy John. So it's it's possible that another team would take him and stash him yeah. if the Orioles did not protect him. But I expect the Orioles to do that. Put him on the 40, put him on the 60-day IL. That way he's here. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, Newstrom, uh, Newstrom's a guy who, you know, his his power potential at Cannon Yards is, you know, enough to make it move a little bit. But he's he's not, I don't think, a big league outfielder at this point. And he, he may be one day down the stretch. He may be like Christian Walker where – Mike Yastrzemski. Yeah, exactly, where they, they go someplace else and they become, like, legitimate big league players. Um, or maybe it happens here for Newstrom, but there's so many guys in front of him, and I do think that the Orioles are going to have some movement in trades and free agency in the outfield market this year, this offseason, uh, where I just feel like Newstrom isn't going to be a priority for them. Um, Morgan McSweeney, he, he wasn't last year, clearly. Yeah, and, and they've got more talent this year. Um, Morgan McSweeney, that's a guy that, I mean, I'm, the name sounds familiar, but I don't know anything about him. I had to look up his baseball reference page, and that's not a guy that you're going to lose. And if you do lose, he's probably not a guy. He's not a Zach Pop, right? He's not. He's that's not a guy that a team's going to hold on to at the big league level all year. So I think that they'll be able to sneak him through uh, and have, give him an invite to spring training, and he may be on the shuttle and, and maybe debut for the may debut for the Orioles at some point in 2023 because so many pitchers do. So the, the I'm not too worried about anybody that they're going to be leaving off. I think the four main guys you mentioned: Chris Rodriguez, Seth Johnson, Joey Ortiz, and Drew Rom. Even though Drew Rom had a very middling season this year, yeah. I think all of them are protected. I think so too. And I, I agree with you on McSweeney. I don't think he would get taken. Um, the only reason I pointed out Logan Gillespie is because that was a case last year where Orioles fans were clamoring for Newstrom and Vespi to be protected. Mm-hmm. And then they add this guy, Logan Gillespie, who most of us were pretty unfamiliar with. And then he becomes a part of the Orioles bullpen this season. Uh, so I just I, I it just it was just a comparison that I I thought was fitting that it seems like an Orioles move if they're following the same path oh, that they sure. did with Gillespie, but I I don't think there's a big risk and I don't think it would be a big loss if you were to be taken. Um, another guy, so all right, so we talked about Newstrom. Same goes for guys like Johnny Riser and Shane Fontana. I don't think the Orioles protect either of them. I don't think they lose either of them. Um, and another guy for me, Paul, is Maverick Hanley. I don't think he's going to get selected. Um, mm-hmm. no, no team has selected a catcher in the Rule 5 since 2016, which kind of surprised me because I feel like a backup catcher is a good position to target in a Rule 5 draft. Um, maybe that's just me. But um, I expect the Orioles to at least add him to the AAA Norfolk roster, excuse me, to protect him from the minor league phase of the draft. Because if he's still in A, he's eligible at this point to be selected in the minor league phase, which is a, a much more... A much easier decision for an opposing team to make. Yeah, he's been in the system long enough. He should be a AAA probably by now anyway. Um, doesn't surprise me that no catches have been taken since 2016 in the Rule 5 draft because 
even for, for a backup catcher, you want somebody who's defensive-minded and knows how to handle pitching staff, and a guy who's being taken in a Rule 5 draft probably isn't that guy That's right true. now. Yeah. Um, so I'm not worried about him getting taken in the, in the, in the big league phase, but the, but the uh, minor league phase, I think you're dead on. I think he, somebody would take him. So moving him to AAA, I think, is, is what's going to end up happening. And there's going to be a competition for the Orioles' backup catcher. We, you mentioned Aramis Ramirez, uh, how he was snuck through waivers and outrighted the AAA. He had a he um, was one of, I think he was like a top twenty pitch framer in baseball last year, and that's a guy who I think is going to have an opportunity to, to compete for that backup spot too. So Maverick Hanley is a guy who I think is going to be in a, in a strong competition ne- uh, next spring for the backup competition. So we'll see how that goes, but I think that they're safe with him. I think so too. And and you look down the rest of the forty man roster as it stands now, there are plenty of DFA possibilities. And we talked on our show last last not last week uh, last episode. That uh, about a few of the pitchers who who could go, Joey Crable, Keegan Aiken seem like possibilities, and then you look at the offense: Tyler Nevin, Yus Neil Diaz, Jake Cave, maybe a catcher. There's a lot of guys who you wouldn't lose sleep over if they if you tried to cut them through waivers and, and they were picked up by another team. Honestly, I think um, I think Yus Neil Diaz is 100% a DFA. I think he's going to be DFA. Jake Cave, I think he's going to get an opportunity to win a fourth outfielder spot, which is also why I think we may have seen the last of Austin Hayes. But, we, and, and I'm not saying we've seen the last of Austin Hayes in favor of Jake Cave. I think Jake Cave will be competing with Ryan McKenna for a fourth outfielder spot. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that, that that's a guy that's going to be DFA because they just they just picked him up. And I've been wrong before, but I think they have, there's too much potential there. I think there is some potential there. It's just it's it's someone who doesn't like you know we we did a little reaction to the the move. It doesn't really do much for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he certainly could be there in spring to to fight with McKenna for that fourth outfielder spot. Diaz, yeah, I've I've tried to hold on to hope with using Neil Diaz for so long, and it's just not there anymore. I lost hope with him two years ago. Yeah. It, I I think I think part of it is is selfishly wanting some piece of the Machado trade to work out, Dean but Kramer. now Dean Kramer, yeah. Kramer has been fantastic, and so it's it's a little easier. I think Zach Pop was in that trade, using Neil Diaz, Ryland Bannon, who is out of the system now. Back with the Dodgers. Back with the Dodgers and uh, Bravik Valera, mm-hmm. and so the, the the guys we were hoping for, Kramer, Bannon, and Diaz. Bannon's gone. Diaz, I think, will be, and Kramer should be in the opening day rotation yep. to, to begin next season. And so, you know, with with all these possibilities and candidates to be to be moved off the roster. There's a lot of roster flexibility on this team yeah. as we go into free agency. And so it's it's exciting to think about what they there's there's payroll flexibility, there's there's roster space available because they don't have a ton of guys that they need to protect from the rule 5 this year. And so I think that sets them up for a successful free agency. And now next week next episode, I think we'll we'll come back probably next week because it's conceivable that the World Series ends as early as tomorrow night. And if that's the case, free agency will begin next Tuesday. So instead of waiting two weeks, I think we should, should come back a little sooner once free agency opens up with a, a new episode. And we'll, we'll really break down our wish lists and our, our roster moves and, and all the things that we would like to see happen. Maybe we go a little bit with our, our kind of pipe dreams and then a little bit more realistic or something. But I, I think we'll have a, a really good free agency preview next week where we'll really break down what we want to see. Yeah, there's, it's going to be a really fun off season, and you know there was a five year period. Every off season after 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, I was excited. I don't know that I was ever as excited as I am right now. Now, of course, because I'm that excited, 
any signings the Orioles make aren't going to happen until mid to late February. Just right. because, just just to stick it to us, right? Um, it's going to be so much fun. There's going to be so much roster movement, and there's going to be times when we're when we want to pull our hair out at a move because we just oh, don't yeah. understand it in the moment. And and that's one of the things that I've been, I've been stressing on both of these shows to the listeners, to the Orioles fans, is guys that you like, whether at the big league level or in the minor league level or both, are going to be traded this offseason, and you need to be ready for that. We were saying the same thing, Zach and I, on um, the bat around a couple of years ago when uh, – not Roof Nettledore. Wow, I can't go to a show without mentioning him. So. <laughs> there it is. But um, Hanser Alberto and Renato Nunez, we both said – they're going to be DFA. They're going to be released from this team this offseason. This was after 2019, I believe it was. We said this is that's or after 2020, and we said that's what's going to happen. They're going to be released. Be ready. And people are like, no, they got to keep them. They were both released. It's going to be the same thing now. Somebody that you love, a prospect that you're excited about, is going to get traded this offseason. Prepare yourself. And get your, get your tissues ready. I'm just I'm just letting you know. My I, my cat came into frame and is preparing himself over by the snake tank. They're getting along quite well over there. Yeah, it's oh, it's it's exciting, but it's also a little scary because you know obviously we all have an idea of what we'd like to see happen, and certain guys we'd like to see stick around, certain guys we'd like to see get acquired, and it's probably not going to go the way we want it to. Yeah, I'll but tell you that go it's. Ahead. It's going to go the way Mike Elias and Sigma Dell and Eve Rosenbaum and all those people. It's going to go the way they want it to go. So I'll, I'll tell you that the predictions that I've made that have come to fruition with this team, they're generally, in my opinion, obvious moves that Mike Elias or any general manager would make, right? But when it comes to wants for this team, Mike Elias and I are never on the same page. And it always turns out that his move is the best move. That's why he's the executive vice president of baseball operations for the Baltimore Orioles. And I'm a guy hosting two podcasts. So, <laughs> um, but whatever Michael Elias wants, it's never what the fans want, but it always works out in the end. So even though I'll probably be uh, pissing, uh, what was what it? Um, Biting off your pitch. nose to spite your face. Yeah. yeah or or I, I think kissing spitting, your sister, spitting piss and vinegar. Uh, I haven't heard all, that one. All, all off season. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try and contain myself. Maybe I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to not bitch as much about the Orioles um, in the 2023 season. I promise nothing, but that might be a New Year's resolution because, man, I think I gave myself angina just from all the uh, all the bitching I did about Brandon Hyde and the lineups and everything all the last half of the season. So. I'm going to try not to bitch about moves that I know are going to happen. They're going to piss me off internally this offseason, but I'm ready for it. Yeah, I I saw you catch a little flack the other day. My buddy Ray tweeted at you. It was like, bad day to be Paul Valley. And it was like, Brandon Hyde won Sporting News Manager of the Year. And then you said the Ravens game was over, and then they came back and won. Yeah. And uh, man, I. Ray's my guy. I didn't know he had beef with you. I don't know if you know who he is or if he just follows you. Dude, I have no idea who he is. (laughs) But but I. um, I used to play ball with him. It's it's funny, man, because a lot of people follow me and bitch at the things I say. A lot of people, more people agree with me than don't um, on social media. But there are people that follow me and like, all you have to say is negative stuff, which is not true. It seems like it at times, but it's not true. But it's like, you don't have to follow me. Like I straight up told somebody that and they're like, no, I'm good. You know what I mean? They actually said that to me. Yeah, when your buddy Ray, I didn't realize that was his name. But when he came at me, I said, 
no, man, every day is a good day to be Paul Valley. I got a beautiful wife, a nice house. You know, I got a good job that pays the bills. I got loving pets and an awesome dog. I'm, I'm in a good spot, man. I got, I got a good life. I just sometimes I get pissed off at the Orioles. Ah, I get it, man. I get it. Social media is a crazy place. Yeah. But, you know, what can you do? Uh, do you, you want to talk about the Ravens for a second? Yeah, man, I'm always down to talk about the Ravens. They're, they're five and three mm-hmm. at the top of the AFC North. The Bengals lost to the Browns on Monday night. They're now four and four. Yeah. Embarrassingly, it was it was off. It was twenty five nothing at one point. Yeah, and and that's right after losing Jamar Chase, and the offense could get absolutely nothing going on until the fourth quarter. It, it, Paul, the, the Ravens don't play anybody with a, a winning record the rest of the season. Currently, they, yeah, they they have they just traded for Roquan Smith. They've got David Ajabo and Tyus Bowser coming back. I think the defense is going to be scary. I hope the offense can smooth things out a little bit. Maybe Deshaun Deshaun Jackson helps spread the field a little bit. It's going to hurt with Rashad Bateman out and no moves for a wide receiver at the deadline. But man, the the Ravens are, are pumping me up a little bit. I think the North is is you know they control their destiny at this point. I think they've got a clean path to an AFC North title. And the real test I think is going to be come postseason. Can they can they knock out a couple of those big gun teams? Yeah, I'll tell you, man. Um... What the offense did in the second half against the Buccaneers, that was the 2019 offense, right? It, it's run the ball down their throat, pound, 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 and then let Lamar hit, hit these quick hitters and do what he does and be Lamar Jackson, and that's that's what won them that game in pretty decisive fashion in the second half. They had the ball four times. They scored on all four possessions. So I think that's what you're going to see moving forward, and I think that the Ravens didn't address wide receiver at the deadline because even a guy like Jerry Judy they were who drops a lot of passes – the Broncos were asking for a number two, a, a second round pick, and then some. Um, for DJ Moore, they wanted a first round pick, I think, for him. Brandon Cooks with, with that salary for eight of eighteen million next year, that was going to be a hard sell. I think the Ravens looked at it and they said, "Look, Ronnie Stanley's back to being Ronnie Stanley. Tyler Linderbaum's getting better every game. Kevin Zeitler just he's one of the most underrated right guards in all of football. He doesn't allow any kind of pressure. Morgan Moses is is just a." a consistent guy at right tackle and Ben Powers is actually having a solid year at left guard. They look at that they look at that offensive line, they look at Pat Ricard as a fullback and they say, you know what? Edwards is back. Kenyon Drake's running the ball well. Justice Hill has a burst. We're gonna get Dobbins back later in the year for the stretch run. We're just gonna run the ball. We're just gonna run the ball down their throats, set things up for Lamar, and we're gonna pay play ground and pound football and beat you with our defense. So I think that's what's gonna happen. Sorry, I, w- I wasn't laughing at anything you were saying. I was watching my cat in my frame and started to lick his asshole. So I, yeah. I, I couldn't help but start to chuckle. I, also, I don't know if you noticed this. We, we said – I asked if you want to talk about the Ravens, and we, you know, we brought up that. And then our viewer count went up to the highest number it's been since we started broadcasting. And then I guess people realized that they're talking about the Ravens and went straight back down. So oh, maybe, funny. Maybe, maybe we start a Ravens podcast too. I don't know. I, I was doing doing one with a buddy, and he just stopped wanting to do it. So I I'm I wish I understood the ins and outs of football the way I do baseball. The the little the little nuances of it. I just I, I watched the game on Sunday. I just I wanted to drive down the. I don't know schemes. I couldn't tell you the difference between a cover two and a cover three defense, or if I don't know if there's a cover four if that exists. I I just I don't know. Well, that's just. Cover two is two safeties over the top. Cover three is three. Cover one is one safety. 
if you have four safeties on the yeah. field, you're probably doing something wrong. That's basic. Like that's like one of the very few things defensively that I understand. I know that nickels when you have like five defensive backs on the field and yeah. dime is when you have six or whatever. Um, but other than that, like when people say, Oh, Ronnie Stanley was coming off the ball. Great. And this and the other, I'm like, how are you watching Ronnie Stanley when the Ravens have the ball on offense? Like, like wh- why are you watching Ronnie Stanley instead of Lamar Jackson? Like, exactly. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm never looking at Ronnie Stanley. Like I look to see if he's on the field and then I look to see him in the replay. But when the play's going on, like, and I don't even really look for him in the replay. I'm looking at the play that was awesome all over. Yeah, exactly. I'm not looking at Ronnie Stanley. You know, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know how people are paying that much attention to what an offensive lineman is doing on any given play. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I stopped playing Madden like five years ago because it's the same game every year. And it just it got boring for me. And I, I would pick defenses having no idea if it was the right defense. I I played millions of cover two, cover three. I I just I never pay I never paid close enough attention to to really get what that is. But what I do know from de- about defense is because of Madden, and sadly I buy Madden every year. I'm one of those guys just for the roster update. You know they could probably just do they could probably make as much money just selling roster updates instead of a new game. Yeah, honestly, I, I uh, I've been doing MLB the Show. I have a franchise. I just I just won the. 2028 World Series, and uh, I've never gotten that far. I've never finished a season in MLB The Show. Really? Well, I, I simulated. I simulated the whole thing, um, but I, I won five straight. I built a, a massive roster. I signed Shohei Otani and and Juan Soto. Aaron Nola was my ace for a few years. Uh, I signed Jordan Alvarez at one point. Eloy Jimenez. Like it was. It was a whole. I just. I built a disgusting team and I won five straight world series. Gunnar Henderson won three straight world series MVPs. Nice. Adley Rutschman's like a five time gold glover. So is Gunnar. So is Mountcastle. It's like, I've, I've just been having a lot of fun with it, but so is that what people do on the show? Like you just, you simulate through seasons, you add whatever players you want to add. And then like, cause for me, when in the times that I have simulated, so I've never played a full season, but I have simulated and I've created, I've taken like minor league players and changed their names and appearance to be like Orioles prospects, and then simulated to a season where they would likely be up. But for me, it's more fun to play with guys who I think are actually going to be Orioles rather than adding like all these all star players. You, you know, this is my first time actually doing it this way. I, I mm-hmm. normally, and I've been playing the show for years. I normally will get, uh, I'll, I'll do a franchise, and I I don't mess around with like Diamond Dynasty. Like I'll collect cards but i don't play any of those things mm-hmm. um but i'll start a franchise I, I will like you said i will mess with certain players who are clearly made up and turn them into actual prospects it's you don't have to do that as much now because it's a it's a much deeper farm system that they give you mm-hmm. um but I, I would always make a couple trades for for bigger guys but i i, I tried to do this I, I started off doing these next two off seasons how i would handle it if i was in charge of the real life baltimore orioles mm-hmm. um and that's when i signed aaron nola and um I don't know, a couple other guys i don't remember it was four years ago now um but yeah and, and then i would just kind of make some moves and and find a weakness on my team and you know i'm still waiting for still waiting on kobe mayo so let me trade for josh young to to play third while i've got gunner at short you know, different things like that I would do. And then normally what I will do is play every game myself. Mm-hmm. I like to control the stats and the lineups and all that stuff. Um, Cause if you simulate through the full season, every time someone gets hurt, you have to make a bunch of different adjustments and you can simulate that if you want, but then they always throw off what you're trying to do. And it's a whole right. thing. 
Um, but this time I actually was able to, you know, work through it, sign some some bigger name free agents, eventually trade them for more prospects and just just keep a really strong team going. So it's it's been fun. No, I, I will do something like like they have the legends of the game in there and I'll put like all the legends on the Orioles team and then play at the polo grounds and just hit balls into the gap all day and have a bunch of inside the park home runs and Griffey hitting home runs over 250 foot wall um, stuff like that. I, I have done that from time to time, but you know, when it comes to the Orioles and, I, and I'm sure because when I do it with Madden, Madden up, I, I used to play like five seasons in a, in a Raven season. I would, I would end up playing and I play all the games I turn off the salary cap and the trade deadline and all that. And like what I used to do is I would go and like, if there was a guy who was a marquee free agent who just hadn't signed cause he was getting older, I signed him and then trade him for a first round pick. Um, I do stuff like that. But, and then I would add, like if I saw a linebacker on that was a free agent in the off season or a corner or a kick returner, I'd, I'd do that. So I, I've right. done stuff like that before. That's right. And when I, you know, all those big names I mentioned, it wasn't all at once, you know, that's been, Mm -hmm. been gradual, you know, different off seasons, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to kind of do that. And, you know, I've, I've at the, I'm at the point now where I have Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson locked down to like massive long-term deals. So I have less payroll flexibility because I kept the salaries on. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to worry about my budget. Um, so I've got Adley assigned for like, I don't know, 10 years, 300 mil Gunnar is like 25 million a year for the next 13 years, something like that. Oh, Bryce Harper. Yeah, exactly. And so these guys, you know, as you simulate and each month passes, based on their potential, they'll get better. And so Adley's like a 97 overall now. Gunner's a 93. I've got guys I've drafted who are already in AAA, like 80 overall. So it's it's just, it's fun kind of just building a, a franchise and seeing how it goes. But I think my reign of terror is going to start to come to an end because Kyle Bradish has not become what I was hoping he would be. He had like a 6.50 ERA for me this season at age 30, and so, you know, I got some moves to make. Now, if you're still listening to this show, can you tell that we run out of actual things to talk about? Yeah, well, we didn't. It's not that we ran out of things to talk about. We, we, we're going to save those for next week. So now it's. Just it's I about, feel like it's talking about hobbies and stuff that we enjoy outside of baseball. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm tweeting about my fantasy football team, but at yeah. the same time, like, and here's the thing about that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on another tangent here. I care. I want to see. I want to see how you lost by you know three tenths of a point. I want to. I want to know which roster decisions you're struggling to make. It's fun. For, I don't. I don't know. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. it. If if someone tweets about you know, oh my gosh, I need I need 13 points from Nick Chubb tonight to win my matchup. All right, I'm rooting for you. It's fun. I don't know. So last year was the least amount of fun I've ever had playing fantasy football. All of my teams sucked. I made the playoffs in two of my four leagues, but like all of my teams sucked. There were so many injuries just ravaged me the entire the entire way. And I was I was in four leagues, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm never doing four leagues again. I'm I'm going to take it down to maybe two next year. Nope, I'm back in four leagues again this year. <laughs> and two of the leagues, I'm six and two, but in both of those leagues, I started six and zero. Oh. Um, one of the leagues I'm five and three, just beat my wife by like 80 points this past week. There you go. I, I was playing her and I had Bateman and Andrews on Thursday night and they combined for six points for me. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to beat her. And then I got 33 from Kyler Murray. I got 41 from Kirsten McCaffrey, 42 from AJ Brown and 39 from Dante Foreman and just beat her 205 to 126. So it was, it was awesome. But I'm See, I love I love hearing that. 
I'm, I'm having, yeah, I beat my wife. It was awesome. No. <laughs> <laughs> In fantasy football. In fantasy football. I did one league last year. It was, have you ever played best ball? No, I, I don't even know what that, I've heard of it. I don't know what it entails. So best ball, you draft at the beginning of the year. You don't set a lineup. Each week, your, uh, your highest scores automatically slot into your starting positions. Okay. And depending on the league, there might be one or two waiver periods throughout the year. But for the most part, you're riding with the team you drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I went wire to wire first place. I had the most points in the league in weeks one and week two. Never fell out of first place. And I ended up running the table and winning it. And then um, none of the guys hit me up to play this year. Really? And I don't know if that's because they didn't do a league this year or if they didn't want me to run the table again because my team was nasty. Yeah. But that was the only league I did last year. And this year I was I was waiting to hear from, from one of them, and I never did. And so I just joined a couple random ESPN leagues, which is fun until half the league stop setting their lineups when bye weeks come around. That actually sounds like a ton of fun because oh, it's awesome. I, feel, I feel like I would dominate. if I, I mean, Laura, my wife is the best fantasy football player I've ever known. She's been playing since 2017, and she's won like five championships. It's insane. Jeez. Yeah, she's she's stupid good. She's guess what? She's in first place again this year. Um, mm. but her roster's stupid good. I have a really, I have a ton of like legitimate starting running backs. Like I had Christian McCaffrey, and he got tra- and Jeff Wilson. He gets traded to San Francisco. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then Jeff Wilson gets traded to the Dolphins. I have Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb. I have J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Uh, I just, I'm just absolutely loaded. At, and I have DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and uh, Rashad Bateman. I have Mark Andrews. I have Kyler Murray. My team is absolutely stacked. And it's a 12 man league. So nice. I feel like I would dominate if it was a best ball league. Last thing about fantasy football one of my leagues this year, one of my two, I, uh, I had the second overall pick. I took Cooper Cup. And then at the, uh, the second, third round flip, I took Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews just to lock down the two best tight ends in the league with the best wide receiver, I, and boy, has that paid dividends. I can't believe that Kelsey and Andrews both lasted it to second, third round flip. Yeah, like, 19 and 22. That's that's crazy, man. And like, then I still I ended up with, with Josh Jacobs, who's been an absolute beast, especially mm-hmm. the last few weeks. I picked up Kenneth Walker off waivers. I got Deontay Foreman. I got Gus Edwards on my bench. Like, I'm... It's a fun team. It's yeah. a really fun team. Uh, uh, yeah. But <laughs> we've been talking about fantasy football for like 10 minutes now. Uh, the World Series Game 4 is about to start, so we're going to go. We've been on this for about an hour now. Is there anything else you wanted to, to touch on, Orioles-related, before we sign off here? Uh, no, man. A lot of stuff I'm super – I mean, yes, but I'll save it for next week. A lot of predictions I'm super excited to talk about for this So. Time. So am I. Next week's going to be fun. We'll Probably Wednesday night, but we'll, Paul and I will talk and figure out our schedules for next week. Thank you, as always, to Derek and Tony at Utah Street Report for hosting the podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube. I guess you can subscribe on other sites as well, Spotify, Apple, Google. I don't, I don't really know how that works, to be honest. And I should by now because this is episode 26. But nonetheless, please subscribe. Thank you all for your support. And we will see you next week on Give That Fan a Podcast.